Well, good morning to you all. Wanting to um, attempt nearly the impossible today. I don't know why I set myself these difficult tasks, but um, the I sort of jumped over it. Um, it's regarded as the most difficult passage in your New Testament. And um, last time I, I tiptoed around the difficulties and um, I thought, well, if I tiptoe around, maybe these things are left um, undealt with. And so I thought we'd have a look at First um, Peter chapter 3, um, a, a rather um, difficult one to translate and caused um, various commentators and Breaches are a lot of confusion, but we'll have a look at it. It talks about two huge, huge things, but has amazing application to us. So um, if you've got a Bible, um, I'd like you to turn to First Peter chapter 3, verse 17. Okay, reading from verse 17. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. That's the main point. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. Whoops, I'll just get where I'm supposed to be. He, went, he also went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolises baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this passage, which has caused a lot of confusion to people, we pray that it would not confuse us, but thrill us that you would guide us, that you would give us courage and strength and hope in the difficulties that we might face in life, that we would truly be a people who honour you and serve you. For we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, in this passage, Paul um, starts off and he's actually talking about what the theme is in the book of First Peter. And that theme is that we are strangers and aliens in this world. That as 
God's people, we come and we're a different people. We're a people who, who live in a world which is hostile to him and yet at the same time we have to live in submission to these authorities because although there's authority structures in this world, God um, has asks us to live under them and that can cause us to have to go through difficulties and so on but we have to be able to shine as as lights and one of the issues that Peter is particularly talking about here is that often when it comes to serving Christ we can we can be honored for the things we do but sometimes when we do good we suffer and so Peter is giving you giving in this passage a couple of examples of how when um, people have suffered and gone through difficulties they have gone through victorious and he he does two people but obviously the great example is Jesus in his victory over the spiritual forces of evil and Noah who with him and his own family, suffered and served God and was faithful and in the end he was vindicated. So let's um, have a look at those two points and uh, huge. Um, I'm wondering whether the wisdom of trying to do them both in one time, but we'll go, we'll try it. Um, The passage here talks and it starts difficult. It says, For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And people come and say, what does, what does that mean there? He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And then he goes from there and he says, After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently for Moab, for, um, um, for the people before the flood. And so we have this um, few words from Peter where he talks about how Christ suffered in, suffered in the flesh but was made alive in the spirit. And it says, in which he also went and made proclamation to these imprisoned spirits and people say well what was this all about now the best way I think we can approach this is to realize that what Peter is talking about here is he's he's trying to give Jesus an example of how um, he suffered um, in the body but he was ultimately victorious and so what he does is he was he says he he suffered in the body or in the flesh is the word but i think the best translation there is he suffered bodily he suffered bodily but then he says he was raised spiritually and the difficulty that people have is they say well what's peter actually talking about is he talking about the resurrection or is he talking about a period between his death and his resurrection where he went down into hell and there's various ideas which he's talking about now the main idea he says when he was raised spiritually what is what i think Peter is saying is this he's saying Jesus suffered bodily but spiritually 
he was exalted and given great honour. And then he explains a couple of aspects about that. Um, It says here that um, he proclaimed his victory over these, um, Peter used the word, spirits who are in prison. Now what I'm quite sure, and it's actually quite, and the reason people don't like it is um, have difficulty with it because actually the main idea is, oh, does it really mean that? And my answer is, yes, he does. Okay. He says, he proclaimed his victory over um, the sons of God or these fallen angels who tried to stop his coming pre-flood. And so what Peter goes back to, he goes back to the time before the flood and he says that um, in, the, in Genesis 6-4, um, God, uh, Moses, as he explains the cause of the flood, says that the, the sons of God saw that the daughters of Eve, um, daughters of um, men, were beautiful and came and, and took whoever they wanted and married them. And you go, oh, what does that mean? Well, we just read it here. When men began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, um, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit will not contend with men forever, for he is mortal or corrupt, which is probably better, I think. His days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them. They were the hearers of old old men of renown. So in this passage, we see the most difficult passage in the New Testament combined with the most difficult passage in the Old Testament. And the reason it's difficult, because we don't believe what it says. Now, we have a look at Peter in 2 Peter chapter 2. He also mentions it. He says, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, the word is Tartarus, which is the deepest, darkest part of the realm of the dead, or Sheol. He put them in gloomy dungeons um, or in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, and he goes on. So we see Peter refers to the same incident in chapter 2. Now, not only that, we see the same thing mentioned in Jude chapter Jude does it's only one chapter in Jude, so it's just verses. It says, And the angels who did not keep their position of authority but abandoned their own home, these he has kept in darkness, bound in everlasting chains for the for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding t- towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Now, I've just had a quick look at those things. So what, what um, I'm saying here is, is that the passages in the New Testament clearly show that what Peter is referring to here is, is in the days before the flood, about 120 years before the, the flood, God um, uh, said, saw that these um, these what's called the sons of God or, or rebellious or fallen angels came and they took human form as angels do and they married women and they had children by them which were called the Nephilim. 
and they become the heroes. They weren't giants. They were, they were mighty men who were, who were renowned as these great heroes. And um, probably that's some of the legends we hear about these various gods and stuff. Now, the trouble with that explanation is that we don't like it. And that's why um, I think this passage is regarded with difficulty because people don't like where it leads. Um, but I think that clearly is what it's meaning. And so what's the point and why does, why does Peter mention this? Well, he mentions it because he wants to also mention Noah, but what he's saying is this, is Jesus um, went, um, either when he, between his death and resurrection or after his resurrection, he went into Sheol, the place of the dead, and he proclaimed his victory to these demonic spirits, these ruling angels who had sought to stop God's salvation from ever coming by polluting humanity and so that there couldn't be a seed of a woman who would overthrow um, Satan and defeat him. And so they sought this amazing spiritual attack and Christ, when he rose from the dead or, or between his death and resurrection, went and proclaimed to them that he was victorious. But they thought that they could, they could oppress and abuse and to, to persecute um, those who were doing good, including him. They thought they had won victory over him by, by causing him to suffer and die. But now he was raised, he was alive, and he was victorious. Now we see Peter goes from there in the end to, to verse um, 22 where he says, who, that's Jesus, has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. So you can see here, he says, well, Christ went down and he proclaimed his victory to these spirits who sought to stop the rise of the, of the Christ even before the flood and whom God wiped out and... <clears throat> Bound in chains of the deepest place of of the of Sheol or the grave, he locked them up, and then he proclaimed his victory. But then Christ was exalted, and he was given rule, all rule and and authority, power and dominion over every spiritual force, good or evil. And so, what he is. Peter is doing is saying he's upholding Jesus. Jesus suffered for doing good. And he was greatly honoured and he, he proclaimed his great victory over these enemies. And his point is, is that is what we will do. If we suffer for good now, if we suffer for serving Christ now, in the future we shall victory over those demonic forces and over the forces of evil and over the, and, and the people who have persecuted us, we will be lifted up and honoured and glory in the marvellous salvation of Christ. So that's um, what I think that passage means, and it's designed to be an encouragement to the, us that if we suffer with Christ, we shall be glorified. And I think Peter, uh, Paul says the same things um, 
in this passage. He says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength when he ex- which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age but also in the one to come. What a thrilling thing it is, is we shall share in that victory that as we suffer, even if it means we suffer for doing good, we shall be glorified as Jesus himself was glorified. Now, the second thing is, and this is impossible to do in the time available, but we'll do it. Um, The second thing that Peter mentions is, is that Noah triumphed over the old world. He was a man of righteousness. He was living in a violent world and God gave him the huge task to build an ark. And um, he, he lived in that world. Now, we sometimes think, well, the whole world's against us. Well, imagine Noah, <laughs> okay? He had to build an ark, preach the coming judgment of God to a world where at the end of his days, eight people were saved, himself, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. That was it. The rest totally destroyed in the flood. And so Peter upholds Noah as an example to us to say, look, the whole world may be against you, but I will vindicate my people, just as I did with Noah. Now, one of the strange things that's happened in this world is, is that um, as far as the Bible goes, the flood was one of the huge major events of history. But um, in our age of enlightenment where people have become so wise, what they have done is they've wiped the... the <laughs> The flood wiped humanity off the off the face of the earth, except for the flood. But now people have tried to wipe the flood off the face of their, our memory and tried to 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 hide it and forget it. In fact, Peter speaks quite long on that issue in Second um, Peter, where he says that people deliberately forget. And one of the things that they've done there, and it's a very in a in amongst the philosophically minded people. They, they've talked about how they've tried to get rid of the Bible from speaking into the physical world and they've developed a philosophy and it was developed by atheists who wanted to get rid of God or, or uh, people at least who wanted to get rid of, um, the, of Christianity and they developed this idea of non-overlapping magisteria. And the idea here is, is that there's spiritual truths which are over here and there's um, the physical world over here. 
and they are non-overlapping. In other words, there's no connection between the two. And so they've done that so that, oh, well, we can't look to the creation and see evidence that God made it. We can't see and look in, into the creation to see evidence of the flood. We don't go to the scriptures to find history and archaeology and so on. They, the, the Bible teaches spiritual truths and we shall erect a history and understanding of the world with no spiritual truth visible in it. Now, if I can say it in very simple terms, and it's a long and convoluted thing, that is a complete lie. Okay? And um, one of the things, as Peter, as I've already mentioned, Peter says is, but one of the things, there's two things we should see is, as we look into this world, we should see the physical world, we should see evidence of creation. But also, Peter in chapter in Second Peter says, as we look, we should see evidence of the flood. In fact, um, when I first became a Christian, I had to come and get my eyes open as so I could see that. But um, what we should see, as we look in the world, we should see the beauty and wonder of an original good creation and God's continuing grace in it. But we should see the relics overwhelming that God in the past has, has done a worldwide judgment and that one looks forward to another one, a judgment of fire which is to come. And so as we live in this world, we don't have this, oh, well, spiritual truth doesn't relate to the physical world, but we should see very clearly a warning of God's judgment and an indication of God's patient endurance for people who are destined for judgment if they don't find grace. Now, I just want to quickly run through a whole lot of evidence, and I'm just going to show a few pictures and stuff there. There's so much. Um, first thing is, is what we call a, a, an area of science called geomorphology. Now, geomorphology is just the shape of the world. And the reason people don't see it is because the flood was bigger than we think. In fact, once we start to get our mind about what was the flood like, my answer to people again and again, it is bigger than you can imagine. Bigger than, even when you're thinking, it was bigger than that. And the reason people see no evidence for the flood is because they look in tiny details instead of pulling back. And in our present world, we have a, a big area of study is, um, comes from an area called geomorphology. And there's all these areas and each one's a massive topic. There's mountains, planation services, inselbergs, pediments, rocks transported hundreds of kilometres, gorges, water gaps, under-ocean um, canyons, bigger than the Grand Canyon, all of these major features of the world, and I've missed a few out, which are really important as well. All of them show that we live in a world which was created and then the, the previous whole structure of the crust of the earth was contorted and destroyed and overwhelmed in water by the flood. Now, I've got a friend called Ron Nella, um, shared a few times with him, and um, before he was a Christian, he was working with a research team. Um, his area was geomorphology, which is the big shapes of the world. And um, he was working on a project on looking at the offshore sediments um, 
which is a feature all over the world, a very, very major feature of the world. And he says, um, as he was looking at this, these shelf sediments, after we had analysed the sediments in the laboratories, I looked at the data and said to the university colleagues, I see evidence in these ocean sediments for one flood, one enormous flood. And he was told, well, we don't talk about that and if you, if you actually raise it, you will, you will soon find yourself without a job. And that is the nature of that. Now, um, some, of the, some of the evidence, now that's one of them. Um, I'll just kind of quickly have a look at it. Um, do you know that the, the scientists still do not know how mountains were formed? 20 different mechanisms proposed, none of them would work. If you ask them, well, what, how were mountains formed? Now, the answer is, is they're explained in the flood. They were pushed up out through the flood, and that's why they're jagged at the top, which is a mystery. How come they're jagged? If they're the highest ones, they should be rounded if they were really old. So the, the mountains pushed up out of the world. Planation services, a feature we see all over the world. We have these sediments, hard and soft, and large areas. The whole of the central Australia is mainly this. Planation, where it's been planed flat when the waters of the flood were over the top of the world. Just planed flat, not up and down like that, but planed flat, hard and soft. We see... I, I just love pictures like that. I don't know where people get through it about them, but when I look at this, I see... How on earth can people not see the evidence of the flood? Can you see it? You can see at the top of the mountains there the planation surface where it's been cut off when the flood waters were really over the top. And then as it's dropped down and been channeling, it's channeled around all these not fully hard sediments and cut off all these incredible structures. And this is probably the best example in the world, but they're everywhere. Um, Ayers Rock is a sort of a type of an, in, is a, is an Inselberg as well. Um, Ayers Rock, incidentally, was part of a sediment which is two kilometres above and it's all just been cut off and dumped into the continental shelves. Um, there's a bit of an example just to see the, um, of the Monument Valley. You can see the, just on the, on that side, right where we go to the left, that's your planation service. And then all of the, all of that area, all that sediment has been taken out and dumped over in the ocean um, west of California, hundreds of kilometres. Um, won't go into pediments, which are just hard bedrock surfaces around things. We've got rocks transported hundreds of kilometres where they find rocks like this one here. And they find, where did it come from? And they find it being transported hundreds of kilometres in the latter parts of the flood. Um, another one of the strange features we see all over the world. The greatest example is Grand Canyon. You can see the planation surface all around the side. And then you can see this huge canyon cut out. And the, the amazing thing is the walls are steep. If it was millions of years, you can't keep these steep ones there. They, the longer something is, that it rounds off. So you can't have steep canyons with billions of years of erosion. And so it doesn't fit. And so it's clear that what's happened, you had a planation, and then it's been dug out catastrophically, incidentally. So the, to show the extent of the flood, you've got like 
Worldwide, there's an average 2.7 kilometres of sediment dumped on top of the continents, and then as the floods run off, it's just cut these things, and the Grand Canyon was um, a smallish uh, erosion compared to the initial formation at the towards the end of the flood. And um, just to try and give you an understanding, and one of the, another one of the strange things, quite a number of places in the world, you actually have these canyons cut outside, out into the ocean. So there's one in um, Monterey in California where you've got this, there's the coast, and the canyon goes out um, uh, 150 kilometres out in there, and there's a canyon under the water with sharp edges um, bigger than the Grand Canyon. Um, so... Very quick, lots and lots of, I'll just give three other quick things here. What we see in the world, we see sediments, average 2.5, 2.7. And it's laid down in huge blankets, up maybe from 30, 20, 30 to maybe 300 metres thick, just piles like pancakes, sizes of continents and like size of West Australia is a small one, just pancakes all across the world. We see, um, for instance, a few in um, the Great Artesian Basin in Sydney. We see uh, those. We see the Tarpete Sandstone in North America. It covers, that's a yellow area, it covers half. Just this big blanket, about 30 to 90 metres of sediment. And then it's part of a whole lot, and you can see it in the Grand Canyon. Um, won't go there. Another thing we have is fossils all over the world. I really like... Um, Answers in Genesis thing, what do we see? Billions of dead things um, um, laid down, you know, buried in sediments, laid down by water all over the world. We see this billions of fossils, um, all of them showing, incidentally, or most of them showing catastrophic burial in a massive worldwide flood. And we see um, amazing bending of soft sediment how during the flood we have massive movements of the earth and we have some just some amazing amazing bends we i really like this one here see the massive bends on the sediments there where these whole things been laid down in these blankets and then others have been bent up um the point the point of these two great illustrations that peter brings his point is this, is that God will judge those who disobey him. He has done that already spiritually in the Christ. He has already given authority over every spiritual force. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. As Jesus said, all authority in heaven on earth is given to me. And now he is waiting patiently just as God did in the days of Noah until the flood came. He is waiting patiently, hoping that people who disobey would find grace. He's, the passage is saying he will vindicate those who endure, those especially who would continue to do good when they suffer for it. And um, that's the challenge for us is as we endure we shall be victorious. We will not be like those in the flood who was taken and wiped away. We'll be like those who are in the ark, saved, secured, 
and ultimately glorified. Let's pray. Father, we've covered a lot of um, huge, huge topics. Every single thing I've mentioned today is a huge topic. But Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we are on the winning side even when the world doesn't think so. We thank you, Lord, that you will vindicate your people, those who continue to do good, who serve you and honour you with your lives, those who continue to do good when they're not appreciated, those who continue to serve and honour Jesus even when they get no recognition and, in fact, they get abused from the world. We thank you, Lord, that you vindicate and you honour those In the end, we thank you that we have a sure faith built on your actions in history. And Lord, we thank you that we have a guaranteed hope. One day, Jesus shall return and we who have suffered with him will also be glorified with him. Lord, strengthen our hands, thrill our spirits, Lord, help us to be confident in the truth of your word and in the power of our resurrected Jesus to bring good out of evil, to honour those who honour him. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.